0: So don't you love that splash page? It's, it's, a, it's a sort of a collage of different characters that we're going to be looking at, as Mark says, some Old Testament, some New Testament characters, and then some historical characters through this whole year. So um, listen to some of these names. Today we launch with Samuel and David next week, and then we're looking at um, some of our patriarchs, Joseph and Miriam and Moses, Esther, Mary Magdalene, Thomas, Peter, James, John, And then we get into, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, just before Christmas, and then we get into some interesting historical figures, like, what do you know about Perpetua and Felicitas? Not a lot. I don't know anything. I I think I spelled their names right. But we're going to find out from uh, James Ends more about them, and then St. Benedict of Nursia, and St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Teresa of Avila, and David Brainerd, and William Carey, and Granville Sharp. Who is Granville Sharp? You want to know. You want to know. Gerina Lee. Where are these people from? We're gonna look at people from Italy, and Spain, and America, and India, and Nigeria, and um, Germany, Holland, Macedonia. Who's Macedonia? Mother Teresa, right? Came from Macedonia and spent her life in India. Anyway, I think we're in for an interesting series. Um, In the movie Gandhi, Gandhi is on uh, a train leaving a station and there's a reporter chasing the train saying, do you have a message for the people? And Gandhi answers, my life is my message. That's the point of this whole series. Each of these people who stand out in history have a story to tell by their lives. And that's what we're going to be digging for. What was the single message out of this, these different characters that they wanted to tell um, to the world or to their neighborhoods? Now, Samuel, um, you all know the story, right? Uh, He's considered a father of the faith by the Christians. Yes. And the Jewish people and the Muslims. All three of these great world religions consider him to be a founder and a father of their faith. Now, you remember the story, chapter one, Samuel's mother, Hannah, is bereft. She's desperate to have a child, and she goes to the temple at Shiloh and prays, dear God, give me, I'd love to have a child. She's barren. And she says, if it's a son... I will dedicate him to you, dedicated to the Lord. What she was doing there was she was saying that she she would dedicate him to be a Nazarite for life. Now, the Nazarite vow has at least three different characteristics to it. One is the person who takes the Nazirite vow doesn't cut their hair. Typically, it's for a short period, like a month or six months. But it's not an a Nazirite for life. And then number two, um, they don't have any fruit of the vine. So no grapes and no wine, none of those things that come from the vine, which I suppose was an, a symbol of luxury or enjoyment. And therefore, you know, this was a person who was serious in their dedication to God. Doesn't mean this isn't, I've, I've heard this used as an, an a don't drink alcohol. No, they had other kinds of alcohol and, and you know, Potato vodka, I suppose, was the, the best alternative. But um, there was to be none, no fruit of the vine. And then the third thing that would stand out about them was they were not to touch dead people. They would be unclean if they did. And so this was um, the vow that Hannah made on behalf of Samson. What's interesting is when you get into the law, a mother can't actually make that Nazareth vow for their son. in in the Jewish tradition, but we'll leave that alone. Not quite sure how it worked. But anyway, there are two really well-known Nazarites for life, Samson and Samuel, both out of the era of the judges. And um, the consequence or the reward for their um, vow was both of them were given special powers. Samson, incredible strength. And Samuel, we'll dive into some of what he uh, had here. So, because Hannah had said she would dedicate Samuel for life, then as soon as he was weaned, now that's considered to be between the ages of two and four, at, the, at an age where a child can sort of function on their own without the help of the mother. Let's say he was three years old. She brought him to the temple at Shiloh and turned him over to Eli, the priest, and said, he's here to serve in the temple And she followed through on her promise. Also in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is an amazing prayer that I invite you to go and and read. We won't be reading it right now, but I invite you to, to read it. It's a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving and dedication to God for his goodness. It happens that Hannah went on to have many other children after that. But her first one was dedicated to the Lord and serving in the temple. Then in chapter three of first Samuel, sorry, I don't think I ever said that first Samuel chapter three, um, Samuel, so he's a boy priest right away at the age of three. And it says he wears an ephod, which is that gown. And then in, in chapter, uh, three, there's this quote at the very beginning in verse one. Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel said, here I am. You remember this story, don't you? Every one of us remembers this. And we wonder, and now... the the assumption that he's 11 is based on stuff that came from Josephus, who is sort of the Jewish historian. I'm not sure if the is the only one, but nonetheless, he's certainly well known. So Josephus assumes that he's 11 years old now. So for eight years, he had served as a boy priest. I think Samuel is an amazing illustration of the parable of the talents. You see, Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of the talents. I like the word talents. The NIV uses the bag of gold. I think the talents is kind of interesting because it plays on both money and people have talent. Um, So the parable of the talent, Jesus says, uh, some people are given one talent, two talents, and five talents. And then when the master returns, um, he sees how you've done with, we've done with each of our talents and how we've turned out. And whether or not we've been good stewards of it. And if we have been, he says, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into bigger and better and greater responsibility. Enter into the joy of your father. Now, as I look through the parable of the talents, I, I found all of the interpretations in different commentaries applied to this is your life. When the master returns, it's the second coming. They're all considered to be eternal rewards. I think there are two ways of looking at this parable. Either that is it, and I, th- I think that is a good understanding of the parable, or I think also the master comes to check in along the way through our lives. And if we do well with little things, then we get greater responsibility, and we get greater And I think that's what's happening here when Samuel is turning 11. My guess is he'd been faithful in trimming the wicks and cleaning the temple and making sure it was ready for worship. And now God says, "I think I'm going to double your talents." So that's there are two ways of doing it, and I think that you'll probably agree with it, but you won't find it in the commentaries. So just call me a layperson. But nonetheless, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, "Here I am." And he thought it was Eli. He ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, you called me. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli. And he said, here I am, you called me. So here's, I'm sorry, I I forgot about these. Here he was being dedicated to the priesthood. And here he is going to visit Eli in the middle of the night. And Eli each time says, it wasn't me, go back to bed, it wasn't me. The third time, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me. I heard your voice. I guess Eli had a tremendous voice of of God. Then Eli realized, the light went on, that the Lord was calling the boy. He was now turning into a boy prophet. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is a tremendous prayer for us, each of us in our daily lives. Speak, Lord, we're listening. Speak, Lord, we're listening. In this case, Samuel had actually heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord came and stood there calling a fourth time, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And that's when the Lord told him that Eli had failed in his duties of managing his sons in the temple. And his sons had been taking advantage of their position of privilege in the temple, and they had been abusive. And therefore, the Lord was going to cut off the family of Eli. Okay, now imagine, Samuel's 11 years old. Eli um, was a very old man. I think I read somewhere he was 90 plus. So he was a very, very senior, very regarded person. The question at that point was, would Samuel be faithful in handling the word of the Lord? Would Samuel fail? Would he quail before this great man of God, Eli? Or would he be faithful to the Lord Almighty in delivering the message? And he did, he was faithful. And Eli said, let the Lord be the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his sight. At the end of that section, verse 19 in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Lord, the, 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 the verse records, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Then there's um, two or three chapters about the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. It uh, falls into Philistine hands, and their God falls on his face overnight each, time, each night before the Ark, Ark of the Lord, and, and then the, the Ark is returned to Israel by the Philistines. They're afraid of this thing that's this magic box, and um, of course the point, and, and then it goes to one home, and it stays in that home, an Israelite's home, a Jewish home, for 20 years. I think everybody by now has great fear for the Ark of the Lord. And the Lord, his presence brings either blessing or cursing depending on what position we hold for him. And so that's a, the, the, the importance of the presence of the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel 7, we kind of see a bit of a, a picture of, of Samuel becoming um, a leader in battle. Sort of the general and he's, Samuel subdues the Philistines, and he leads the people back to the Lord in a revival. And at the end of, or close to the end of chapter, yes, it is at the end of First Samuel, verse seven, chapter seven. We hear, we read this, that Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. So this is a period of about thirty years. So he's about 40 years old when this is recorded here, is the assumption. might have been 45. But Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to his home in Ramah. And there he held court for Israel and he built an altar there to the Lord. So we see now that Samuel has gone from boy priest to boy prophet to judge. And now he's ruling Israel. He is the last of the judges. Now we can understand why he was viewed as a great leader, right? Interesting little line in here. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. Now, You can see here, barely, there's Shiloh up there. There's Bethel, there's Gilgal, there's Mizpah, and here's Ramah, okay? And you're going, why are you showing us this? Because the full circumference of that is about 50 kilometers. And it sounds like he did this each year. This was his routine. He was a circuit preacher or a circuit court judge. And maybe he was the first of the great circuit preachers. Um, in which case, he spent his entire life in this little circle. Doing it again, and again, and again, and again. Now, that's kind of interesting to me. He continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. First Samuel chapter 8, it appears the people weren't impressed with his leadership. They wanted a king, like all the other nations. And so they came to Samuel, and said, we'd like to have a king, you're, we're done with you, you're kind of boring, you're staying inside this little circuit. So in 1 Samuel chapter nine, Samuel anoints King Saul. And here's where we see, you know, Saul went from a shy person who didn't, he was hiding when they were looking for him, And they found him, and Saul got anointed, Samuel anointed Saul there. And then Saul had a very, very good time. He suddenly was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was uh, given the gift of prophecy. He was given miraculous ability. He was given victory in great case, where he freed an, an Israelite city. Now, does anybody remember why Saul lost God's favor? Do you know? Uh, he chose not to kill all, all the Correct. That was the second thing. What was the first thing that he did? You're right. Absolutely right. Right. He sacrificed when he shouldn't have. Anybody have any idea? But how much time passed between? You can answer this one as well. Because if you know the answer, that's amazing. Or, but I'm going to look for another hand. Does anybody know how many? How much time had passed? between him being anointed, made king and his sacrificing uh, the the, the sacrifice that he shouldn't have anybody have an idea? two Two months? Is there another guess? Two days closer interesting it was one week here it is here it is in chapter 10, Samuel is, did you say two years? Uh, two, minutes. two minutes, there we go. <laughs> In chapter 10, verse 8, Samuel is instructing Saul. Now, this is just at the time of his anointment, uh, anointing. And he says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. First Samuel 10, verse 8, go down ahead of me to Gilgal, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings. See, they're the sacrifice and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. In chapter 13, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in that week. He has a great week. So it, it feels, as you read it, like these two are completely disconnected. But First Samuel 13, verse 7, Saul remained at Gilgal... Okay, note, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. So 13, verse 7, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, note, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. They're afraid of the Philistine. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he was finished making the offering. Guess what? Samuel arrived. And he comes whistling over the hill, and he stops, and he says, what have you done? What have you done? And Saul gives him a good explanation. know, I needed the Lord's blessing, so I went ahead with the sacrifice because I needed to turn to the Lord. And I gave a religious reason, right? And Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You see, Saul was on trial. Would he obey the voice of the Lord as it was given to him through Samuel? You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. In the next chapter... He, um, did, he should have gone in and completely obliterated the enemy and instead he saved some gold and, and kept the king alive and all this kind of stuff. I think the saddest verse in this entire book is at the end of chapter 15. This was after his second failure. The Lord completely rejects Saul as king. Now, I believe, I'm just, this is ad biblical, So I'm adding to it. But I believe Saul could have repented immediately of having sacrificed inappropriately. And God would have said, okay, you got another chance. But instead, Saul began to harden his heart and become set in his ways. And he continued, and the illustration is in chapter 15. But at the end of chapter 15, Samuel left for Ramah and Saul went up to his home in Gibeah Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And here it is. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In the context of the parable of the talents, you see the picture, don't you? Like, ah, no, Saul. And so in chapter 16, Samuel anoints King David. And it looks so much different. I know. But Samuel anoints King David. And he went, you remember the story, he went to the house of Jesse and he asked for, you know, his sons and Jesse brings out his five, five six, seven strapping young sons and, well, isn't there another? Well, there's the young one, you know, he's out looking after the sheep, which was a low call. And, uh, and instead, Samuel says, bring him. We won't eat until, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Send for him. So Jesse sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features and the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. You see, this is all about that famous verse. Do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected all these different boys. The Lord does not look on the things the people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at our hearts. So Samuel took the oil, horn of oil, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel went home to his home in Ramah. What's interesting is it it becomes a story about Saul, and then a a story about David. David doesn't actually assume the kingship until 1 Samuel chapter 5. Um, Does anybody know how many years it is between the time he was anointed and the time he became king? Two years. Seven years. It's closer. Fifteen years is the best estimate by historians. He was probably anointed between 10 and 15 years old. So let's assume he's, you know, 14. And he didn't become king until he was 30 years old. He waited 15 years or more for the fulfillment of that anointing act, the promise. He waited. What a comparison, right? Again, David was on trial also, right? As Saul had been. Saul failed within a week. David was patient. This is a very important life lesson for us. But back to Samuel. (laughs) And then we get to verse, uh, chapter 25, 1 Samuel 25. Note, David didn't become king until 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 5. 1 Samuel 25 begins with this. Now Samuel died. Samuel didn't live to see David become king. Now Samuel died and all Israel mourned. They assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Question I wanna ask is, why do you think all Israel assembled and mourned? Why? Was it because He was a famous boy priest? Was it because he was a tremendous boy prophet? Was it because he was a kingmaker in both Saul and David? He was very instrumental in the formation of this nation. I'd like to suggest that it was because he was faithful. I think the key is in that verse 7.15. And he went from year to year, each year. The suggestion there is that it's each year. Each year he went, but it's adding a little bit, from year to year, he went from Gilgal to Mizpah, and then home to Ramah, the three, Gilgal. I think it was his circuit. I think it was his routine. You see, we remember the highlights of our lives, but actually we're remembered for our habits, right? People may not know what our highlights are and what the victories were, but we've got our victories and others notice our values. We need to be aware and look after our routines. We need to be looking after it. And, of course, now you can see how this all fits together with a great illustration of the parable of the talents. So some of you will want to preach in your careers or teach Sunday school about the parable of the talents, and, and well, you should. But remember, you can use the story of Samuel as an illustration of God, God added and added and added to the work that he did throughout his life. What's interesting to me is, and when he died, all Israel, suggestion is from Dan to Beersheba gathered to mourn for him. And I think it's because he was faithful in 1911. Some of you will know this answer in 1911. There was a race to, I was gonna ask, what, what happened in 1911? Well, it's, I forgot to toggle the, the sequence. <laughs> Who's gonna guess what happened? There was a race to the South Pole. So uh, in December, which is the summertime down there, of 2010, uh, 1910, they, there were two teams that, that assembled. It was the Norwegians and the British. The question I will ask is, uh, for those of you who weren't in leadership foundations where I use the same illustration, Which of those two teams uh, won the race to the South Pole? The Norwegians or the British? Let's take the Norwegians. Hands up. The British? I think some of you didn't vote. (laughs) So they headed out. They had had very different uh, strategies. The Norwegians were going to um, grind it out in the face of storms, in the face of whatever hit them, they were doing a 20 mile march a day. 20 miles a day, we'll get there, we'll turn around, we'll be back on this day. The British, they're a little more like, okay, let's let the weather be our friend. It's a extreme temperature, extreme environment. We'll just go hard on good days and we'll hunker down and save our strength on bad, bad weather days. And that's, of course, the biggest difference between how to, when to go. So there were days when the, the British made 45 miles, and then they stuck, uh, hunkered down. The, the Norwegians, they went for their 20-mile marker every day, and some days they failed, and they only made 14 miles, but they gained you know, 14 miles on their way to their goal. turns out that this is a picture of the Norwegians, as they planted the first flag on the South Pole. So they won the race. The 20 mile march was what won the race. And the British never made it back. They perished 15 miles from their next resupply depot um, and all of them froze in the tundra there. Very sad story, but it's very important for us to realize what our routines, what our values, what our habits will do And the influence that we can have in what seems to be so small an area. And that, I think, is the story that Samuel wanted to tell with his life. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the story of Samuel. We thank you for the illustrations that we have of your goodness. Your presence and your power in his life. And we ask here today that you would be present with us. We ask that we would not fail on the tests that come before us. Help us to be faithful with the little talents so that you can add to them and trust us with more and more. Help us to do our routines. Help us to do our circuits. Help us to do our 20-mile march so that when we do finally meet you, on your second coming or on our passing, that you will be pleased and it will be for your glory altogether. And in Jesus' name we ask this, amen. Thank you, see you next week.